Um, I don't like change very much. I've had a lot of change this summer. Um, I think the biggest change uh, is I'm not uh, close enough to a Panera Bread anymore to go every day for lunch. <laughs> and it's really hard on me. Um, yeah, I've had a hard time dealing with it. And one of the things I loved about Panera Bread is their passion papaya green tea. And Casey was very kind enough to bring me the tea I needed. It was back ordered until January that I was trying to order it off Amazon. She kindly brought me some today, some tropical tea that I can try to recreate this um, so I don't have to change. But today we're going to talk about how sometimes we do have to change. I tried some other tea for this passion papaya. It was mango or something. It didn't work for me, but um, I think we'll see this morning in the sermon, sometimes we do have to change. We have to learn to try new things, even if it's not uh, comfortable for us. And we're continuing this series about lessons we learned from the playground. We've talked about honesty and, and friendship, uh, kindness, and those are all things that from a very early age we learn are necessary, and, and they're ingrained in us. And we may have learned more about them over the years. We, we may have learned more about kindness and friendship and, and honesty. Um, but the playground is where these lessons really sunk in for us. And another of these lessons that we had to learn on the playground is that we have to try new things. You know, when we were kids, it was obvious we have to try different things because we didn't have everything figured out yet. And I remember... Um, I made a model for science class, and they asked me to um, think about what I thought a neighborhood on Mars would look like, how we would sustain life and all these things. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I made a model with a, a poster board. I, I painted it red. I put some bowls on there as little habitats, uh, and I thought I had it all figured out, right? But I wouldn't have trusted um, to get on the next rocket and go to Mars. I knew I didn't have it figured out yet, and if I wanted to go to Mars, I was going to have to keep working. I had plenty of imagination, but I knew I didn't have it all figured out, and I didn't trust my knowledge to get me to Mars. Problem is, as we get a little bit older, uh, we start to think we do have it figured out. We start to think that we know everything we need to know, and so it gets harder to change ourselves, to change our minds, to grow more in what we know and what we understand. As kids, we understood that. Every year, they threw us in a new algebra class, and we knew we didn't have it figured out. But as adults, we don't have that new algebra class every year. And uh, it gets easier and easier to think that we know everything we need to know. So we're not willing to change. There's a story about a little girl who had a, a shiny silver cross around her neck. And she would wear it everywhere. She was so proud of this cross. Uh, one day, uh, her preacher comes up to her says, Honey, you know, that's a beautiful cross that you're wearing around your neck. But you know, that's not, that doesn't look like the cross that Jesus wore. His cross, it was wooden. It was ugly. It was bloody. It's not something that you would want to wear around your neck. And a little girl, she smiled, and she said, oh, I know that. But in Sunday school, they told me everything that Jesus touches, he changes. Everything that Jesus touches, he changes. And that's what our story today is all about. Jesus touched Paul, and Paul was never the same again. Now, before we get back to that text that Gary read for us this morning, let's reintroduce ourselves to who Paul is. Saul uh, was born in Tarsus. That's on the southern coast of what we now know as Turkey. And somewhere early in his life, his family moved to 
Jerusalem. Saul had the opportunity to study at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest Jewish rabbis of the day. And Saul was someone who took his faith seriously. He later described himself this way in Philippians 3. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, fullness, faultless. You know, one day, Paul might have grown up to be a great Jewish rabbi. Perhaps he'd even be greater than his mentor, Gamaliel, if it hadn't been for Jesus. Saul was with regard to the law, a Pharisee. That's what he says here in Philippians 3. Uh, and the Pharisees, they despised Jesus. They had nothing good to say about Christ. And this distaste for Jesus would have been true for Saul as well. And so when Jesus was arrested, Saul could have been in the crowd as they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. He would have been shouting that along with them. But now Jesus is dead. You have to think Saul's saying, good riddance. We didn't need him. He was just causing trouble for what he understood. But then there are these rumors that Jesus wasn't dead, and Saul wouldn't have wanted that. Rumors that he'd risen from the dead and appeared to his followers, and Peter and John, these ignorant fishermen that are out there preaching heresy, have been preaching in front of these huge crowds, and they even had the audacity to stand in front of the Sanhedrin and defiantly refuse to stop preaching their false teachings. You know, Saul he must have been furious about this. You know, how dare these ignorant men challenge his leaders, the leaders of his people, the Sanhedrin? And that would have been bad enough. But then there's this fool of a man named Stephen who stood before the crowds and lectured the Jews about their history as a people of God. And then the Stephen said that God didn't need the temple for worshiping and concluded by saying in Acts 7, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. You know, and Saul and the other men in the crowd, they heard this. What did they do? It said they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at them. Have you ever gnashed your teeth at someone? I don't even know exactly how I would do that. What exactly is gnashing of teeth at someone? But clearly, you know, these men, they were enraged. This was enraging for them. But it was when Stephen said that he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, that he was there in heaven at the right hand of God, that's what pushed them over the edge. Acts 7.58 tells us when Stephen said that, they threw him out of the city began to stone him and the witnesses laid their feet at the feet of a young or their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now why would these men stone Stephen to death? Well, because Saul believed that Stephen was introducing a new god and the men listened to Saul. Deuteronomy 13 Let's see. Verse 6, it says, If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom or your friend who is at your own soul, secretly entices you, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers or the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely 
Kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. And you shall stone him with the stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And the crowd believed, Saul believed, that this Stephen was introducing a new God. They knew what to do if someone introduces a new God. They stoned him to death. But was Stephen introducing a new God truly? Jesus, of course, was the Messiah. He'd been prophesied long before. This wasn't a new God. This was the God that was there at the creation. In Jeremiah 31, 31, God said he was going to do something new. He said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And Jesus was the one who was prophesied to bring in this new covenant. And Jesus established his authority to do this clearly by the many people he healed, by feeding thousands with the small amount of food, by raising the dead, by rising from the dead himself ultimately. Jesus was not a new God. He was the God talked about all the way throughout the Old Testament. But Saul and his friends didn't believe in that. They didn't buy into that. Jesus for them was a heretic. And that's why they put him to death. And Stephen comes along. He's preaching this Jesus. That makes him a heretic too. So he has to die as well. And that incident must have been a turning point in Saul's life. From that point on, Paul knew what his mission would be. It would be his goal from that time on to snuff out this heresy before it got out of control. You know, later on in the book of Acts, Saul, he was on trial for professing Jesus as the Son of God. And he told the judge in Acts 26, This I did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And of course, that was precisely what we see Saul doing as what Gary read on the road to Damascus. He saw this new faith as being an attack on the God he served. More than that, he saw this as the establishment of a new God. And he knew what to do when someone comes to establish a new God. And he wasn't going to look the other way while these so-called Christians undermine the faith of his fathers. Now, what I find interesting about this story of Saul's conversion is that Jesus hadn't done this before. This is a unique story. It's repeated over and over again in Acts because it is unique. I mean, Saul, he'd been persecuting the Christians for some time now. There are certainly other people who were persecuting Christians also. And God had allowed this to happen to his church for quite some time. Why would Jesus wait until this specific moment to stop Saul in his tracks? You know, I think... The answer to that question is found in Saul's retelling of the incident later on in Acts, in Acts uh, 26, 14, right there. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Acts 26, 14. Kick against the goats. 
What on earth does that mean? And it's one of those phrases that uh, we don't use very often today, but it preserves an important point. That's why we still use the phrase here in the New King James Version. So what's this all about? Well, an ox goad was a, I think I got a picture. It was a stick with a pointed tip of iron on it. And the farmers would use it to prod the oxen in different directions when plowing. And basically, the goad steered the ox in the right direction. We still do use that phrase to goad someone on, right? Pushing them in the direction we want. So what is, what's this goad that uh, Saul is having trouble kicking against? Well, one of these is what Jesus promised in the book of John. He said in John 16, uh, verse 8, Jesus said, When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, part of the Spirit's job is to convict us, to get in our faces, to convict us of our sins and our need for righteousness. And the fact that there's a judgment coming, that's his job to make sure we know. Now, I recently saw a, a meme, a picture on Facebook that declared that the colors red, white, and blue stand for freedom. That is until they're in your rearview mirror. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they represent impending judgment, right? When they're in your rearview mirror. Christ does the same thing. Christ is the ultimate symbol of freedom unless you refuse to follow him. And then he represents the impending judgment. Some people, uh, you know, the, <laughs> we were talking about it Wednesday night, and when the red, white, and blue lights are uh, flashing, and you don't buckle up your seatbelt, Richard. <laughs> means you're going to get that $25 ticket. It might mean freedom all the rest of the time, but not when they're behind you. And that's what the Spirit's been doing to Saul. Spirit has been convicting him. And I get the impression he's been doing this to Saul for some time now. The Spirit's been softening Saul up for Jesus. The Spirit was working on Saul to get him to doubt his convictions and getting him to question why he should be persecuting Christians. But how did he do that? That's a really abstract topic. Uh, you know, when we refer to this, that the Spirit convicts us. How does this actually happen? How can we see this happening with Saul? Well, let's give one example that I think could have happened with Saul. One way that this comes to mind is that, you know, Saul, he talks with those Christians. They're facing imprisonment. He's persecuting them. He's dragging them back um, to be uh, put in shackles. And, and God made him realize that their faith was real. And this observation of their faith, I, I think it must have shaken Saul some. And, and part of the reason why I think this is because how Saul uses his own imprisonments later on. We remember the, the story of Saul and Silas being arrested in Philippi, and they're beaten, they're shackled, they're arrested and, and locked away in a cell. And how would you respond in that situation? How would you respond if the leader of your community came and unfairly imprisoned you? I don't think that I would do the same thing as them in Acts 16.25. About midnight, middle of the night, Saul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, what prompted Saul to do that? Well, why were they so calm about singing and praying in the midst of this injustice? And I mean, 
I'm sure that had benefit for them and praying and singing and, and having this communion with God. But I think he'd other, seen other Christians do the same thing when they'd been arrested, when they'd been beaten, when they'd been imprisoned. I, I believe he remembered how their behavior affected him. So we see this isn't such an abstract thing, this conviction. It's not a, a preaching of the gospel, but it's those things that lead up to the preaching of the gospel that make us realize maybe we aren't doing the right thing. Maybe things are uh, astray right now in our lives. And we see the effect this had, that Paul had, that Silas had, on the prison guards there. It says the other prisoners were listening to them, but then when God shook the jail with an earthquake and he unlocks all the doors, what did the jailers do? They called for the lights, and where did they go? They didn't go to the other prisoners. They didn't look at them. They went straight to Saul and Silas. They knew there was something special about them. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In Acts 16, 29 through 30, they asked. You know, the jailers, they didn't go to anyone else's cells. He goes specifically to Paul and Silas because he heard their prayers. He heard their singing, and he didn't understand it. It was strange what they were doing. Our lives should be strange to those around us, and it should make people rethink how they're acting. And before that night was out, the jailer and his whole family, they were baptized into Christ. An early leader in the church about 420 AD, he said, the church of Christ has been founded by shedding its own blood, not that of others, by enduring outrage, not by inflicting it. In other words, in the days of the early church, people were won to Christ by the witness of Christians who were being persecuted. It was how these believers responded to mistreatment and abuse that shook people and converted them to Christ. It isn't always because we can force our ideas or our beliefs on other people that changes their minds. It's how we live out those beliefs already. And so the Holy Spirit is working through my life. He's indwelled within me so that I live a life that is built on Christ and other people can see that. And then after that, after the Holy Spirit perhaps softened up Paul, Jesus came for a visit. And when Jesus came for a visit, Saul went to his knees. And when Jesus touched Saul, Jesus changed him. And from that day, the Ananias baptized Saul for the forgiveness of his sins. Saul became a man who was on fire for Christ. He was a driven man. He was a changed man. Ultimately, he wrote half of our New Testament. And the man who sought to destroy Christianity became its most powerful voice. And the question for us this morning, though, is why did he change? Why did this happen? He was going in the complete opposite direction, and yet something turned him around. And the simplest answer is Jesus went looking for him. You know, Paul had the kind of passion that Jesus was looking for. And granted, Paul's passion was put in the wrong place. He was honest in what he did. And the thing was, Paul ultimately had to make a choice. And even when Jesus confronted him, he had a choice. He could have said, no, that's not how I was taught. He wasn't raised to follow Jesus. He could have said, no, it wouldn't have been very smart, I don't think, but he could have done it. And you know, you'll run into that kind of thinking once in a while. You'll, you'll show someone something from the Bible, you'll read something from the Bible, and they will or you will struggle with it because that's not how we were taught. That's not how we were raised. You know, I went to a gospel meeting where the preacher told a conversation he had with one woman. She was struggling with the idea that she needed to be baptized for the forgiveness of her sins. And, and so uh, the preacher, he turned to Mark 16, 16, 
and asked her to read the verse for him. And in part, Mark 16, 16, it says, He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. And she took the Bible. She confidently recited, He that believeth shall be saved and then baptized. Was that what it said? No. So he asks her again. Read it for me. Recite it for me. He that believeth shall be baptized or shall be saved and then baptized. And he couldn't believe he was hearing this. And again, he asked her to read it and repeat it. He that believeth shall be saved and then baptized. One more time. He that believeth, and then she stopped, and is baptized, shall be saved. And then she said, I've not seen it that way before. Because that's not how she was raised. And that was Paul too. He was thoroughly entrenched in the Pharisees' distortion of the law. He was passionate about it. Probably more passionate, he had a passion that we all should envy. He was so passionate that he could have cheered on the death of the Messiah. So where do we find ourselves today? Sooner or later, we will be faced with this same kind of choice. And it's a choice that we will have to keep on making throughout our lives. We have to choose whether we are going to listen to what we've been taught or how we've been raised or uh, how other people have practiced their faith in the past, or will we let the Spirit convict us and will we listen to Jesus? Now, that's not easy to do. Just think about how hard it must have been for Paul. He is a race car going down the road, and here's Jesus trying to stop him and turn that momentum in the opposite direction. And maybe he saw some things before that made him question what he was doing. He saw some Christians who were living such passionate lives. Surely he must have been moved by what Stephen said there, that he was so passionate and so uh, intent on telling the world about this Son of God who came so that we might have forgiveness of our sins. He must have been moved by that, but it wasn't enough to make him change directions. He was just going too fast, but Jesus got in the road and turned him around. And whatever Jesus touches, he changes. He is able to push our momentum in the complete opposite direction if we let him. That truly is the gospel. That's the good news of the Bible. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, brand new. Everything's changed. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You in Christ, I am new. I have to do new things too, constantly transforming myself into someone who can glorify God. In Christ, I keep maturing, and when I stop maturing, that's when I stop dying. When I stop bearing fruit, that's when I start dying. God wants me to keep changing. He doesn't want me to stagnate, and he wants me to put the same momentum that I had once in my life into sin into him. But if we go back to the story of Paul's conversion, you know, what's interesting is that Christ didn't choose to do this all alone. You realize Paul wasn't saved on the road to Damascus. There are a lot of people who mistakenly say that, but it's not true. If it were true, Ananias wouldn't have told Paul in Acts 22, 16, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Can you be saved if your sins aren't washed away? Of course you can't. And yet that's what Ananias said Saul needed to do that hadn't been done on the road to Damascus. And the washing away of Saul's sins only occurred when Ananias baptized him 
into Christ. Now, Jesus, he could have saved Paul on the road to Damascus. Could have done that. God can do all things. But he didn't. He left that privilege to a mortal man named Ananias. Now, it's Ananias. He's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. He wasn't an apostle. As far as we know, he wasn't a, a great orator or a church planner. He didn't write any books. He wasn't famous. He wasn't important. Ananias was just like you and me. You know, the Spirit convicts people of their sins. The blood of Jesus offers the way to wash away that sin. But God gave us the opportunity to share that good news with the world. We have the privilege to show the world that change is possible. But before we can do that, we have to allow ourselves to be changed. We have to be willing to say that we don't have it all figured out on our own, that we need to try new things, that we have to rely on God to change our minds and our hearts and our, our, our uh, actions. We have to get to the point where we realize just how blind we really are and then turn to the commands of Jesus to restore our sight. Then we can go to others and say, if God can change a stubborn guy like me, he can do it for you too. What Jesus touches, he changes. So if you want to be changed this morning, if you're ready to put off the burden of your sins and have them washed away in the waters of baptism, we're here to help. Come to the front of the room as we stand.